morning, church. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, church. This is the day. This is the day when every outsider gained the opportunity to be an insider. For three years of his earthly ministry, Jesus uh, was with a select group of people and followed by the crowds. The crowds followed Jesus, they were taught and healed by Jesus, but only a select few were chosen to be near him. He had a very small set of intimate friends and followers. He had capacity. He had a, a human capacity. He was able to interact with just so many people in a day and eat with just so many people in a day. There was the special group. There was like the in crowd. And then there were the people who just kind of got to watch from the, fringe, from the edges and interact less uh, than the, the special 12 and the special three in the center. He had a very small set, Jesus, of intimate friends and followers. And a whole lot of people didn't get to eat with him. Oh, there were a whole lot of people he didn't personally teach or personally encourage or personally choose. Today, Pentecost Sunday, marks the day where the only ones who will remain outsiders, the only ones who are left out of the party, are the ones who choose to be. Today, the power and love and glory and intimacy of the Trinity are available to all who would come to the water and drink. For anybody who asks and seeks and knocks, God, who spun stars into existence, God, who is so much more beautiful and powerful than the sun, that he could create the sun, will come and fill you. It's actually really neat because he's that powerful that he's more powerful than the sun and he can live in you. And as Alan Hood, who we really like to listen to, says, and you don't blow up. That's amazing that that much power can take up residence in your body and the four walls of your body stay put. <laughs> That's pretty great. Each one of us now has the opportunity to be taught by the Holy Spirit himself, to share in the deep mysteries of the Godhead, to eat with Jesus, and to be as inside and intimate and as included as they choose to be. You are as close to the free fire as you care to walk in the Holy Spirit. Happy birthday, church. You will never be left out again. In the kingdom of God, everyone who has been and is being filled with the Holy Spirit gets to play. Happy birthday. You belong not because somebody had you over for dinner or you got included on the group email or you have friends that you particularly like in church or out of church, but you belong because the Holy Spirit is in you and teaches you to cry out for your Abba. You belong because you're part of the family. Happy birthday. So this morning, that was just a little before the sermon, sermon. But this morning we looked at Acts 2 and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the church. And uh, the, the counterpart of this event, when the Holy Spirit was poured out 
on the disciples waiting and praying in the upper room. The, uh, the counterpart to this story, many people have said over the years, is the story of the Tower of Babel. And if you're not familiar with the story, it was an ancient, ancient story. The ancients of the earth got together. They all spoke the same language. And because they could communicate with one another, they decided that they were going to build an edifice to the sky, and then nothing would be impossible for them. Now, I have no idea what was going through their minds, but I think it's easy as Westerners to simplify that and be like, what are you kidding? You can make a tower to the sky and nothing's going to be impossible for you? I mean, come on. But these were people who lived for a long time. I mean, they lived more than our normal 80, 90-year span here. Uh, I, I imagine they could comp- accomplish a fair amount. The Babel, the story of Babel is actually a unified sound from human beings around rebellion and pride. It's human beings gathering together and saying collectively, we don't need God. We can do this. We've got it, kids. It's going to be great. And the story of Pentecost is the story of a unified supernatural sound telling the story of Jesus. It's a unified collective sound that everyone can now understand communicating the story of Jesus. Excuse me while I make sure this doesn't fall off the podium. Our, our culture has an increasingly unified sound. I know everyone says, ah, oh, we're so divided. We are such a divided culture. And in name and in the, the sort of topics of conversation, that's definitely true. You get a group of people together and there is such disunity. Uh, and there's so much disunity that people have separated almost entirely into camps that just don't even talk to each other. They just sort of yell distantly at each other now. But our culture is actually a culture of an increasingly unified sound. It's unified by worldly, soulish wisdom, where media outlets and Facebook posts interpret the events of the day, make predictions and issue warnings. And amazingly enough, whether you are left, right, center, conservative, liberal, The voices are not unified in what they're saying, but they're unified in the arrogance and the judgment and the fear and the pride that's there in what's being said. You may be saying culture, the culture may be saying different things, but it's saying it the same way. It's saying it with the same level of vitriol and judgment. Who do you think you are? Who would possibly say things? Who could believe things like that? There's a unified voice of arrogance and judgment. We are a a culture under judgment. And I don't mean that in the sense that, um, you know, I'm not going to weigh in on this particular sermon on whether or not, you know, the experience we have on a day-to-day basis is the judgment of God. But Jesus' teaching were clear that it judge not lest you be judged. And we know living in a culture where we judge each other so quickly and so easily, the the most holy ones among us so readily make statements of judgment, oh, you fool, in our hearts, that that creates a culture of judgment in which we experience the judgment of others and we are under judgment. So I want to talk about what happened that day in Pentecost. In that day, people, human beings, had revelation. They had words that pierced the heart of the listeners. They had words that had cut to them. I'm a, I'm a singer, 
um, by education, not by practice or trade at this point. Um, but there's this, there's this reality when you sing, uh, all sounds sort of register on the spectrum of sound. Uh, and, and different sounds have different sort of patterns that they make in the invisible, in the ether. They have different sound waves that create different patterns in the air, different widths and breadths of sound wave. And every different sound, the reason you hear it distinguishing as a different sound is because it, it, it happens differently on the sound spectrum. And the human voice, uh, especially a, a human voice that's learned how to do it, registers on one specific wavelength, one specific range of sound that can cut through an entire orchestra of instruments and still be heard without a microphone. It's remarkable that the sound that can be heard from the human voice. A revelation is like that. When the Holy Spirit adds fire and awakening and power to words, they have cut that could pierce through all of the clutter, all of the noise, all of the judgments, all of the perceptions, all of the ridiculousness. When Holy Spirit inspires language, it has cut. In music, that when a voice is able to be heard through an orchestra, we say it has cut. It cuts through the orchestra. It cuts through all the other sounds. All words have potential, but not all words have power. All words have potential because they communicate. They communicate ideas, truths, lies. They stir us to different action. They cause us to be afraid. They, they, um, words are very powerful. But not all words come from a place of influence. I can say, I decree a 3% tax break for all United States citizens. And I can say that every day, all day long, with great conviction, and nothing will happen. I'm not, I actually have never tried it. But I'm pretty sure <laughs> nothing will happen because I don't have the right ear. I don't have the right people listening. I don't have the right level of influence. Influence just means people are paying attention to what you say. Your voice has power, has influence. I don't, I don't have the kind of influence that can actually make those words have power. Does this make sense? Yes, I hope so. In Babel... In the building of the Tower of Babel, authority and influence was going to be established by the height of the great tower they would build. God intervened, and people have been laboring under confused language and broken understanding ever since. Words, and the authority of words varies given how much power the speakers have, how much authority they have. In the first 300 years of the early church, one of the tasks which fell to the disciples of the disciples of the disciples was to determine which books, which letters, which writings were to be included in the canon of Scripture. What they were determining was which words carry truth and authority. Who gets the right? Which words have power to cut through the noise? And what makes them have power to cut through the noise? We want to collect the words that have power to cut through the noise. And we want to keep them all together in the same place. They had general metrics, these people that were assembling the canon of Scripture. They had general metrics which they followed to determine which writings were included. And one of the metri metrics they used was authorship. Who wrote this letter? It mattered who wrote it. Why does it matter? Well, they reasoned, some people were particularly close to the source. Some people had the privilege of having their ear literally actually pressed up against the chest of Jesus while he was on the earth. 
Some people were actually given authority by Jesus himself, in part due to their proximity to him. They were close to him. He breathed on them. They experienced what it was like to be near him. And they experienced his teachings in a firsthand and earthy and gritty kind of way. And the early church decided that the words which came from these people, these apostles, were of particular significance. They carried particular cut, particular authority. I've done a lot of healing ministry over the years. It's kind of my shtick. I love, I love a good mess. I love a messy situation because I'm so convinced that God is capable of showing up. Excuse me as my papers fall everywhere. There's my life in a nutshell. My papers are all over the floor. Um, I do a lot of healing ministry, and you can tell when you're praying for somebody and their ear has been pressed up against something harmful. When their ear has been pressed up against the influence of something other than life. The voices that have been speaking to them, whether demonic or through the culture or the media or their friends and family members, the voices that they've been entertaining, that they've been listening to, and I mean really listening. And when I say really listening, I'm using this, this sort of metaphor of pressing your ear up against. So when I say that, I just mean, what are you intentionally resting in? What are you intentionally filling your ears with? The voices that have been speaking to certain people that we pray for, uh, uh, the voices of despair or hopelessness, or pride, or condemnation, or judgment of themselves or others, the voices that they've been listening to, the human voice becomes a megaphone for what the ear is pressed up against. The words of an oppressed person have weight. They have a certain kind of cut. I have observed over the years, and I train my prayer teams uh, to be aware of this, that when you're praying with somebody who's, whose ear has been pressed up against something yucky, yucky, for a long time, I have a lot of small children, so we use words like yucky sometimes. Uh, Whose ears have been pressed up against that for a long time. The words that they say often have a lot of power on them. When they say, oh, yeah, when they have words of cynicism and hopelessness, it has weight. And as a prayer minister, you sit there and you listen to it. And sometimes if you're not careful, you start thinking, oh, yeah, I guess it is that bad. I guess Jesus really doesn't come through for you. I guess there are some things that God really can't fix. And it's tempting as you're listening to someone whose heart is filled with pain and sorrow to be intimidated because the words that they speak have cut. They have power. The reality is it often feels like the words of life carry less weight than the words of darkness in our culture. The words of fear are more significant than the words of it's going to be okay. It's like I've said this before, but a lot of times it feels like the words of life are like homeopathic medicine. You know it's probably better for you, but you also suspect it isn't going to work as well. The question is, where is our ear? A couple years back, and and I'm not making this as a a statement of, you know, whether or not my words have different effects in different situations. I'm just going to tell you a story. But a few years back, I was praying, and I, I love when I'm praying. I love to imagine that my, my head is up against Jesus' chest like John. Like, What would it be like to be that presumptuous? What would it be like to think that I belong right there? And I had been praying that way for a while. I would close my eyes and I would just see my head up against his chest and be like, I'm welcome here. I belong here. And I'm going to tell you everything that hurts and I'm going to listen to your heart. 
and I, I want to know what's on your heart, Jesus. And I would pray this over and over again. And one night I was praying, and I, it had been a rough day or something, and I was like, is this, is this okay that I'm praying this? I mean, is this, like, this kind of arrogant? Is this a little presumptuous? Is this a little, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jacked up sometimes. <laughs> like, I'm not particularly holy. Uh, I live a lifestyle that it constantly uh, displays my life. My, my, you know, or has potential to display my lack of patience or holiness or whatever else. And I prayed that to God. I was like, is it okay that I'm praying this? And I had earplugs in because it was night. And um, my house can be loud at night for various reasons. I'm looking over at my husband. You can't see that. It's off camera. Um, he snores. And uh, so I wear earplugs at night. And in my right ear, the ear that I always kind of imagine is pressed up against Jesus for over 30 seconds louder than loud, a heartbeat reverberated in my ear, and I could hear his heart. And I was like, oh, God, my heart is against your ear. I mean, my ear is against your heart. I can say putting your ear against his chest requires a certain kind of presumption. Not the presumption of pride that says God owes me something, but the presumption that says I know I'm weak and broken, and I have failed a thousand times, and I will fail a thousand times again, and yet I am his favorite. So I will approach the almighty God of the universe as though he actually likes me. As though I belong. I, like I'm supposed to be there. Like the table has been set for me in the presence of my enemies. And I'm going to eat. He is glad that I show up because he died that I might shed the crippling rejection and fear of orphanhood. Revelation comes from an external source. Words with power, with cut, come from an external source. I can say God loves you, and it's always true. And the Lord can always use truth. But God loves you from a place of encounter where I have met the one who loves me. And I have met the one who loves you. When I have pressed my ear against his chest and heard his heartbeat, now my words carry the reverberation of the heartbeat. When I say I love you, it has cut, or when a person whose ear is pressed up against the Father's heart says I love you, it has cut to it. It pierces the culture. So I turn my page again. I'm used to using like a computer when I do this, so I don't have to turn any pages. When Peter began to preach to the gathered church that day, in, uh, excuse me, can I give you this Bible that's here? Thank you. Thank you so much. When Peter began um, to preach that day, he had, my grampy would say, a tough row to hoe. He had a difficult job by, ra- like, if you were just using your rational mind. Who are great candidates for words with power spoken to a culture bereft of revelation and filled with judgment? If everyone's under judgment and everybody's just poised and ready to spring with judgment, ready to hear, oh, you judge me, you hate me. Oh, I judge you, I hate you. If there's this culture that's thick with the revelation of darkness and ears that have been filled with fear, oh, we're all going to die and you're going to make everybody else die and you can prevent death, which I'm so sorry, I mean, maybe for a little while, but we're all going to die. That's just, that's just life on this side. Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be laissez-faire with the, with, the, with the tragedies that we're seeing. I'm just trying to, I just want to remind you that me and my husband and my six kids and you and all of your family members and everybody else, you're all going to die. Someday, you're all going to die. 
It's good. Um, I, so, excuse me. Pa- so, power and authority. That was a dovetail that was not in my notes. Apologies. Um, power and authority. Who are great candidates for words with power? Spoken to a culture bereft of revelation and filled with judgment and despair. So it wasn't just Peter in that upper room. Peter had a lot of authority in the early church. He had a lot of a lot of clout because he was so close to Jesus. And Peter was the one who addressed the crowd once they had gathered. But it was the collective noise of all of those disciples who had been gathered in the upper room, pressing their ear against heaven. It was the collective noise of this group of people testifying about Jesus that drew the crowd. It was the collective noise of the apostles and all the people who felt like they belonged because they loved Jesus hanging out in this upper room. When they opened their mouths under the unction of the Holy Spirit, it was the collective noise of this crowd that drew the, that drew the people from, as the scriptures say, from all the nations of the earth. They had pressed their ears against heaven and they waited. And there they were given a voice. When Peter began to preach to the gathered crowds that day, by human wisdom, it was a difficult assignment. It was a hard assignment. He was preaching to Jews. And the people who were gathered, the the next section in the book of Acts that you didn't read, Peter gives what in my mind is the worst altar call in the history of the church. He basically stands up and he says, You killed God. Repent. And be baptized. And it worked. It worked. It worked because his words were infused with the power, with the cut of the Holy Spirit. And it cut through the, the, the ridiculousness and the fears and the judgments and the confusion. And are you guys drunk? And what's going on in here? It cut through and it pierced the heart of his listeners. All Saints, Amesbury, has been given a difficult assignment. The church in New England has been given a difficult assignment. I was speaking to somebody recently. They were talking about the fear in the church and our culture. Because when the church says, good news, God has good news to rework your entire, to bring to life every facet of your being. He wants to heal every part of you. And that includes your memories and your families and your sexuality and everything else. And for the church to stand up and say that, uh, the, the, the church has experienced the backlash. Oh, you guys just hate everybody. You just hate everyone. And Peter was in a very similar location, right? Oh, you're with that rebel. You're going to get us all in trouble. You guys are just you're bad, <laughs> whatever you are. You're ba- There's a reason they were hiding in the upper room. It was a hostile culture to the message. <laughs> this was a hostile culture to the message. But, G- but Peter, when he pressed his ear up against the Holy Spirit, when he pressed his ear up against the heartbeat of heaven, his words had power. And so when he spoke to the culture, he spoke and he said, guess what? You whose hearts have been filled with fear and pain in this season, An accusation, you who are afraid of death today, you who are listening and who are anxious about your parents and who are afraid and who have felt condemnation and judgment and who have built sort of a pre-existing idea of who Jesus is and what he's about. 
Peter was speaking to a group of people just like today, just like New England today. But because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he could say, right now, open your heart to the one who will make all things new. Change your mind about the judgment that you felt and that you are, that's continuing to eat away at your soul, the anger and the hatred that you've held, the dysfunction and the pain that you've held. Turn your heart today and be filled with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Be filled and be baptized and be made new. Participate in the renewal of all things. The Lord today is calling the church in New England to press their ear against heaven collectively. And in some ways, they're kind of hiding in an upper room. They've seen waves of cultural pain, waves of just dysfunction and judgment. And I say to you today, the Holy Spirit remembers walking the streets of New England. The Holy Spirit remembers rushing through congregations and homes and changing hearts and minds and making all things new here. It's what we're going to pray for today. So if you just join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. We need the heartbeat of the Father. We need to hear how much you love us. God, I want to be a people who when we say God loves you, we're saying it because we know he loves us. Give us the courage to press our ear against your, your chest. To know that we belong at the Father's table. To eat the food that's there. And then give us the courage to go out and speak the words of life. Lord, I ask that you would release to your church power and authority to call New England to Jesus. To call New England to the one who would make them new. To the one who died that they would be healed and set free. That they would have a home. That anxiety would no longer grip their neck and their chest. That pain wouldn't rack their bodies anymore. The one who died to set New England free. God, give us your power and your love to speak the words of life to everyone who needs to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. I took my little mics. Let's confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. 
who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Father, we especially confess to you being afraid, being ashamed, being lazy, whatever it is that is keeping us from pressing our ear up against your chest instead of against the culture, against the fear, against whatever it is, the judgment, being, being filled with being afraid, we confess it to you. And we say we need you. God, we need your fire on our words. We need your fire on our hearts that we'd be filled with courage and boldness. We confess to you the judgments that we've carried. The ways that we've participated in the anger and the fear. We repent of allowing ourselves to entertain fear. Of allowing ourselves to entertain the judgment. there are places that you just feel like you have given your ear to the voices that are not your father. Let's just offer those to Jesus this morning. Ask him to cleanse and renew the places that have been burnt, singed, wearied, There's this thing inside of us that says, I deserve to be weary because I did turn on the news and listen to it for 14 hours on Saturday or whatever it is that you did. I deserve that. Yeah, sure. And the cross. So we repent and we receive your mercy, Jesus. We say, come and heal. Most merciful.